Welcome back to Is It Horror? I'm Brianna. I'm Joe. I'm Matt. I'm Mitz. And I'm Steve. If you haven't joined us before, the whole thing that we do here is we'll take a movie or eventually other pieces of media and we analyze whether or not we think they qualify as horror. Uh, There's lots of different pieces of media that are kind of on the bubble and uh, so we think it's interesting to take a deep dive and see what we think it is and what makes it that. So before we kind of get into the movie that we're covering for today, we've got Joe's Get to Know You Corner is what I called in my notes. But anyway, Joe's got a question for everybody. (laughs) Yeah, okay. So, well, in honor of Valentine's Day, I was thinking I'd like to hear what everybody's favorite either chick flick is or a romance depicted in a movie is. Okay, I'll go first. So I had a couple that came to mind, for, like, I guess the, like, traditional, like, chick flicky type movie that came to mind for me. I generally don't like that genre very much. It's not just not my thing. It's fine if it is yours, but I generally don't like them. Uh, but one I do like is uh, Return to Me. And I can admit that part of that might be because I just like David Duchovny because I'm a big X-Files fan, but that's one that I do like. Another one that I was thinking about recently, it's a little little bit off the path, off the beaten path, I guess, but it's from the MCU universe. Well, MCU, not MCU universe, but uh, anyways. MCUU. MCUU, yes. (laughs) It's a... Clint and Lara Barton, I've found their relationship interesting whenever it shows up. It doesn't show up a whole lot for the most part, but every time it does, like I kind of, it's an interesting dynamic to me and it's different than in a lot of like superhero type love interest stories where you've got like the side that's not the hero being like, oh, you're never around or I need you to be a part of things here at home or something like that. With like Clinton and Lara, like they're like a hundred percent on the same page, like all the all the time, and like they'd like to be together, they'd like to be with each other all the time, but they both like understand the score, understand the game, and just like oh, you need to go do that, that's fine, and like they're both totally just all the time cool with each other, which uh, I don't know is just an interesting depiction, I think. So those are mine. Oh, and maybe like the first five minutes of Up. Oh, you took oh. mine. Oh, I'm sorry. We can edit that part out. <laughs> no. It's Take okay. it back. I have two answers. Well, I'll let you go first then, Mitz, and then I'll Okay, well, I was going to say best romance depicted in a movie would definitely be the relationship in Up. The <laughs> The... The little man and his wife before, you know, tragedy strikes. They're just so wholesome. And favorite chick flick? This was hard for me to decide, mostly because I, like, couldn't... I've seen so many chick flicks in my life, I, like, could not remember every one that I've seen. But I think I landed on Legally Blonde as my favorite chick flick. And I like the romance in Legally Blonde between Elle and Emmett. It's very cute. And I'm also someone who's very much into musicals, so if you ever get a chance to see the Legally Blonde musical, I very much recommend it. It's very good, and it does an even better job with that relationship between Elle Woods and Emmett. It's very cute. A+. I've heard some of the songs from that musical, and they're like surprisingly really poignant. (laughs) Yeah, it's surprisingly good. So, for me... um... I had a sister who was all up in those, you know, 80s, 90s uh, romantic movies. And like, so I had one of those, too. Yeah, I you. Oh, oh, there you go. (laughs) Um, So we had stuff like 10 Things I Hate About You and Clueless and all those things like flying around in our house all the time. But I had to pick a different Alicia Silverstone, which was Blast from the Past, which has always been a favorite movie of mine. Uh, her and Brendan Fraser. I just think it's a really funny, quirky movie, and I always enjoy their like little love story in that. And then the other thing that kind of uh, I thought of was 
the book 112263 by Stephen King if anybody's read that book I know it's not a movie yeah awesome book I really it's like really that one. good it is a TV series but the romance in that book always like means a lot to me definitely has me like in tears uh whenever I reread it so those are my two answers um for me I guess is thinking about my more traditional answers, I guess, would be because just thinking about, again, our that sister they have that's really similar to your sister, Matt. Yeah, just thinking of watching Clueless and uh, 10 Things I Hate About You are probably the ones that maybe fit the more traditional, like, chick flick role as far as movies go that I really enjoy. And then I really also like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which... I know that's not exactly a chick flick, but it's like a romantic movie, or at least somewhat romantic. But I feel like it also takes a more realistic look at relationships and how damaged they can be and how people still find something of beauty in them and still find value in each other even after the pain they've caused each other. It's a great movie. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, I like that one a lot too. Did everyone go? Am I the last one? You are the last one. Oh my god, I'm the chosen one! Only Brianna is left alive. Ah, oh, there can only be one! Thank god. Oh, broke the mold. Ah, so, okay. If we're talking about couple standards, fictional couple standards, it is a toss-up. The bar is Trinity and Neo, guys. Like, let's be real. That is a hella good relationship. I would be invested in that. They also have a great aesthetic and look fantastic in slick black leather. It's good for everybody all around. However, I'm a true goth at heart, and Morticia and Gomez Adams have the healthiest, weirdest relationship on the planet. They love their kids. Oh, yeah. They love each goals. other. Right? Like, they support each other. They just think each other are wonderful. Like, that is goals. So I think that That's those are my good. two... Yeah, those are my two couples. Um, chick flick? Is Heather's a chick flick? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it ran on, uh, oh my goodness, what is the name of that TV channel? The TV channel that is basically like oscillates back and forth between romantic comedies and a woman that had to kill her husband. Oh, Lifetime Television for Women. <laughs> there it is. That's the one. <laughs> It's either it's always either someone gets engaged at Christmas or it's the burning bed. There's no in between. <laughs> yeah, and Heather's was on that channel like constantly for a little while. Sweet. Okay, well there's also a toss up here too if Heather's counts. Okay, so Heather's is a shoe in for obvious reasons. But uh, Romy and Michelle I want to cover that reunion. for the show. Oh, that would be great. I can argue that movie on so many levels. We'll, uh, we'll we'll come back to that because I think that would be a good one. Anyway, but yeah, <laughs> continue. Oh, no, just the, the two chick flicks is between Heather's and Romy and Michelle's high school reunion. It is comedic gold. There is a perfect film. Amazing. Nice. Well, happy Valentine's Day, everybody. Happy Valentine's Day. Yay. Thanks, Joe. My Valentine card to use in the mail, by the way. Ooh, I can't wait. I can feel the love I hope it's in a pop up chat right now. It's sort of a pop up. Anyhow, never mind. It's not it. safe for kids. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, in honor of uh, Valentine's Day having been a few days ago, we are doing the movie The Only Lovers Left Alive. So that was released in 2013, and it was written and directed by Jim Jarmusch, who hopefully I'm saying his name correctly. And uh, other films that he's done is uh, Broken Flowers with Bill Murray, uh, Patterson, which I wasn't really familiar with, as well as Stranger Than Paradise. And uh, then more recently, he'd done The Dead Don't Die, also had Bill Murray in it, and uh, honestly had everybody in it, which is kind of another genre. Maybe it's horror, maybe it's not movie. Have any of you seen any of those other movies out of curiosity? I have not. Negative. I saw Broken Flowers a long time ago, um, but I don't really remember it all that well. And then The Dead Don't Die, I watched this this past Halloween. It was kind of interesting. It was very reserved, which makes sense in terms of the movie that we're talking about today. 
here's your spoiler warning before I give the description. Uh, we're going to spoil the hell out of this movie, as usual. Uh, so the plot of only, only Lovers Left Alive is you have two vampires. You have Adam, played by Tom Hiddleston, and Eve, played by Tilda Swinton. They are currently living far apart from each other, and Adam's character is in a very dark place. He's clearly contemplating suicide, so he and Eve, they have a call, and she decides to come visit him. And so you just kind of explore their lives a little bit as he's as they're visiting with each other. They eventually have to get out of town because... Tilda Swinton's sister comes to visit, and she ends up eating a friend of Adam's. So after they have to dispose of the body and they've been seen in public with him, they decide that they're going to go ahead back to Tangiers, where Eve has been living. That is that is pretty much the movie. I mean, there's lots going on, but it's light on plot. It's more lots of character work, character studies, seeing how they live, seeing what their existence is like, but as far as the plot goes, it's fairly slim. So, there is the movie, and uh, what did you guys think? Did you find that this was horror or no? It is definitely not horror, but it was lovely, and I would watch it again. I agree. I Definitely not horror in my book. I, I did enjoy it. I... Uh had you know some issues with it but i did enjoy it enjoy it for reasons i'm sure we'll get into i would say definitely not horror i'd never heard of it before like i was saying to mitts i liked the thoughts it provoked maybe more than i liked the movie itself yeah i agree it was not horror um was not that much of a fan of it honestly i mean there were some very interesting conversations that were like Matt said provoked because of it but I didn't find it very intriguing to be honest I know this is not a movie review podcast I just wanted to throw my two cents in there that's all right you're welcome to voice your opinion on it so that is perfectly valid um I also didn't find it to be horror I had seen this movie listed on a few different people's lists, just vampire movies to check out. And I've kind of circled it a few times thinking I would add it to my October horror movie marathon, but I was never quite sure if it was a horror movie or not, because it kind of, some people would say yes, some people would say no. But yeah, after watching it, I, I agree that it is not horror, which is maybe a first for us on the show because we this might be the first time where we have five cast members all here and we are all agreed on the fact whether it's horror or not. So, yay! Celebration! Hooray! Huzzah. Thus proving <laughs> that you can have a vampire movie that's not horror in any way. Which is an excellent point, and I guess one thing I kind of, I mean, we can talk about any of these topics, so I'm sure we'll all get into all of it, but uh, I think before this, have you seen a horror movie, have you seen a vampire movie before that you would say wasn't a horror, and uh, what, what made it not horror for you? What made this one not horror for you? I'm going to burn in horror movie hell for this, but I did not think that The Hunger was horror. I thought it was very pretty, and I really like David Bowie, but not horror. I'm sure there's a few out there. Uh, I guess the things that come to mind for me that are, you know, vampire movies that are definitely not horror are more in the comedy realm. Oh, shoot. Uh, what's the Dracula dead and loving it <laughs> comes to mind? There's a few other like few others like that, but yeah, I don't know. I guess you could say like Twilight is definitely not a horror movie uh, and has vampires in it. <laughs> but they sparkle. They sparkle. Yeah, I guess that's pretty horrible. You might be right. <laughs> and that's the real terror of it. <laughs> Remember that movie v Vampire in Brooklyn with Eddie Murphy? What a God, oh, that was a great movie. movie. I don't even know <laughs> if that's horror, though. It is. I'll argue that one, too. I remember that one being a little more horror than Twilight. <laughs> well, anything's more horror than Twilight. <laughs> as far as vampire movies go, yeah. Vampires don't sparkle. 
it kind of made me think of a bunch of vampire movies that ended up on the bubble one way or another because of course twilight came to mind as one but then i also thought of like blade and underworld which both skirt that line of is it action is it horror yeah a lot of stuff takes place at night so you've got a dark visual palette but the atmosphere really isn't dark in either sense yeah those are definitely more action in my book I also feel like a lot of vampire movies end up being like almost like twisted romance movies in some ways too because vampires are like overtly sexual for some reason nowadays (laughs) (laughs) I mean I don't think that um, I don't even think that's a nowadays thing because the original Dracula movie and then uh, looking at uh, the Hammer adaptation of Dracula as well. Dracula's pretty sexual dude, pretty charismatic. He is about the ladies, always looking for the ladies. So I think Dracula the guy slash owns vampires. A yeah. So I think that those elements were almost there from the inception of the mythos. So I mean, Bram Stoker's Dracula is basically a love story. It's a, it's pretty much a love story, you know? It's Stockholm Syndrome. I was just going to say, one thing that I thought about while watching this movie was, in doing research for it, I saw a few other people say stuff like this. But it was like, if I were to be a zombie, or uh, I mean, if I were to be a vampire, that this is a much more accurate depiction of what my life would be like, hanging out with books, playing music, playing chess, and like, you know, just being a lot more introverted and reclusive, as opposed to uh, what came to mind is the like key and peel spe- uh, sketch where like they like turn the new vampire and then they like go down into the like sex dungeon and he's just like why is everybody wearing leather why are we all like hissing and like barely wearing clothes and doing all this these random sexual things i thought of that while watching or while thinking about this movie (laughs) yeah i was like that one too (laughs) it's like they do the makeover of their den at the end and it's all normal and you know you've got the lead vampire from the beginning and that sketch is like guys this is lame yeah. <laughs> that's kind of where my head was at like most of the movie more than anything was thinking about uh what you would do with 2000 years of life and like what i guess they said centuries right so maybe it's more like 200 years of life so tilda swinton's character is supposed to be about 2000 years old and adam's character is supposed to be about 500 years old Oh, okay. Got it. Oh, she a cougar. (laughs) (laughs) It just had me thinking about, like, what you would do with all that time and then how a relationship with somebody that spanned hundreds of years might take shape also. Like, it was interesting to see, like, they're married, but they're living, like, on different sides of the world and they just kind of check in with each other every now and then because probably hanging out all the time every day got old 200 years ago and but they still love each other it's just kind of interesting to think about all that and like what you would do with your life or this is the limitation you can only go out at night but you can live to see all the advances in science and all that stuff over hundreds of years very interesting i think this movie kind of made me think about that more than any other vampire movie that i've ever watched I don't know. I feel like this movie, fin- like it, finally there is a vampire movie that represents, like Joe said, exactly what I would be doing with my afterlife. That is perfect. I would surround myself with books. I would travel the world. I would make out with Tom Hiddleston playing a guitar. It's it was perfect. <laughs> yeah, I think that's one of the things interesting about this. And I maybe it's just because I don't delve as much into some more of these sort of indie types of movies. But the thing that I guess came to mind most while I was watching this was actually the TV show The Wire, because The Wire had this kind of mentality where it didn't try and explain itself. It didn't spend a lot of time giving you exposition-y dialogue through its characters. 
And so it just was like, you're a fly on the wall. This is their existence. This is what it's like. And they don't explain anything that they would have to explain to the other person. I think there's a quote that I had from uh, Jim Jarmusch about it that I felt like summed up the way that he filmed it really well. Anyway, um, he was asked, can you name one incisive note you received? So they were just asking if you'd received any notes. So I guess just for some context from the studio while making this film. And so he was uh, saying that let's see he said that i had too many references i knew that i did i knew that i was going to remove them so i removed some from the script some while we shot and more in the editing room i was already aware of this but i was happy when he would remind me you know because it needed a balance there and i had too many it was bordering on being pretentious or forcing things on the audience which isn't the point and the best thing he said to me was whenever there's information in the film that makes you think why is he telling her this wouldn't she already know, then you're telling the audience. So that was very helpful. So whenever there were places where, wait a minute, why are they telling each other this? Take that out of there. So it was very helpful. So that's maybe me being a little bit overly long and giving that quote, but it really explained a lot about the way that the story unfolds in this movie because he's. I think that they were doing that all the time, probably during setting up this film, is always saying like, why are they saying that? They would know that already, and then it gets removed, and so you're just left with all of these cryptic sort of innuendo and inferences to things and never really getting any details. They basically present to you a way-in character in Anton Yelchin. Here's somebody who's in this world but doesn't understand how this world works. They could explain all this to that character so that the audience could know, but instead they kill him. So they kill the way-in character so that you never get that exposition. It's almost, I don't know if that's intentional or not, but in a way it feels almost like flipping off conventional filmmaking, conventional storytelling. So it kind of explains like the scene where they're in the kitchen and she's she kind of does like a, tell me this thing. I know you've already told me it before, but I like to hear you say it kind of a thing is sort of how I understood their little scene in the kitchen at the chessboard where she's asking him questions about people. Cause it's kind of, I know even in my own personal relationships, I've done that where I'm like, I've definitely told this story to somebody before, but they humor me and listen anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and this movie just feels, uh, I don't know, full of moments that are that tone anyway, not full of explaining, but just those quiet moments. Just thinking about that too while you're saying that is, yeah, just, I feel like it's trying very hard to depict what a relationship's actually like. Yeah, it's a very like lived in story, lived in, like you you just happen to catch these people at this particular chapter of the of their lives. It's not, here's a start, here's a middle, here's the end. It's a, you just happen to catch some little glimpse of the middle of, of, of a story that's been going on forever or going on for, you know, a super long time and will continue on for a super long time. And it's one of those things that was like, all those all those details that they sort of skirt and sort of mention but never explain that would be annoying to me in some movies but in this one i guess i felt like it was it was a thing where like i know there's answers to these questions they're just not telling us them or not hitting us over the face with them the information's there and i i don't need to know it as a viewer cuz that's just not part of what's going on right now in their lives so I guess let's take a look at how the vampires are used within the story. Since we've kind of talked about vampires are usually the realm of horror, I'm almost from almost from the beginning of cinema, you've got, you know, Nosferatu in 22 and you've got Dracula in 31 and of course the sequels for Universal's Dracula and then uh, Hammer taking the torch. So I mean, you have this long legacy of vampires being the territory of horror films and expecting if there's going to be a vampire in the film, it's going to be a horror film. So what about the use of these vampires made this one feel different for everybody? I think it really humanized the vampire characters. I think because they presented sort of the mundane side of these people's lives, that it did make them just seem like regular humans with this quirk that they have to drink blood. And I thought that was 
I thought that was an interesting choice, but I liked it. Because I think that would be the most realistic situation if vampires were real. So, just They're just average Joes with a condition. No offense, Joe. Oh. Yes, they're all British and angular and perfect. And they wear sunglasses at night and gloves. What's with the gloves? I didn't get the gloves. Did I miss that? I don't know either. I wish they would have explained a little more. I don't think they ever tell you. My my theory on the gloves was that they seemed very concerned about like committing murders and having to cover their tracks and people knowing about them. So I was thinking it was maybe more about like fin- leaving fingerprints all over the place. Like they didn't want to be traced in any way. But obviously they don't give us a good answer, so... I think they're just terribly fashionable. I read it in a slightly different way. Because that I agree, that makes sense for them to be concerned about that and trying to keep from leaving any evidence of themselves. But I read it as almost sort of a interpretation of you have to be invited in kind of thing. So you're getting this sense of there's a familiarity that goes with touch and that they don't extend that familiarity until there is a relationship, until there is an invitation. So it was kind of their way of addressing that rather than just going with the formal, you have to be invited into the house. It's like them tacitly saying you're invited into their world by them removing the gloves around you. I think yeah, that, that makes sense. That makes cause... sense. Because then Adam's like, <laughs> fuck you to her when he's like, you want to sniff my hands, brother? He's like, nope, don't care. One other thing that I had noticed, or one other interpretation I took from that, was that it feels like they've they have a little bit of kind of extrasensory things going on, where like you know Tilda Swinton reaches over and touches the guitar and is like, oh, this is made of this wood and it's this old, and I can kind of tell that from just touching it. That's what I thought was going on. That does make sense, because, yeah, her being able to tell the age of it, so it seems like she'd probably be able to do that from other things, probably glean other information, too, just wearing them out of necessity to avoid overload. Yeah, that, or maybe, like, even tying into what you were saying about, like, uh, you know, maybe they have that ability, um, but they are respectful of life, in lots of ways and that they depict that throughout the movie in several, several different ways. But, you know, that could be a thing where it's like, yes, I could tell a lot about this person by person by touching them. I could get a lot more information, but I won't unless I'm invited to. And then Mitch, you had some thoughts on that too. I was just going to ask if you also, if you also thought it was the same thing for the sunglasses about the being invited in sort of thing. Or if you thought the sunglasses were something else. For me, I guess I read it as an extension. I was just thinking that maybe it was a like a... So one of the overarching themes that I got out of this is like, these are some super bougie hipster vampires. Like they know that they're, you know, eternally damned shit don't stink and they're above everyone else. And I felt like maybe the gloves and the sunglasses and all that was a way to like remain separate, uh, less out of respect and more out of disdain, like... Oh, I'm not going to touch that. There's definitely a very uh, snobbish personality to the two of them. And that was another thing it kind of saw. So I watched a lot of interviews with this Jim Jarmusch and I was kind of like kind of digging his personality and how he was reacting to things. But him kind of saying, you know, if you had somebody that was alive that long and had seen that many things, it's not necessarily that they're even trying to be snobbish. They just kind of can't help themselves because they have too much perspective. It's like probably... A 10-year-old thinks that a 30- or 40-year-old is being snobbish, but really the 30- or 40-year-old is sitting there like, 10-year-old, what do you have to say of value to me? Nothing. Yeah, and they held a lot of disdain for humans. I mean, especially Tom Hiddleston's character, you could tell, just from the way that he spoke about, quote, zombies, quote. But he also had his fanboy human wall. True. And I think that he kind of was talking about that, too, during the course of the film, right? Like, is the idea of that there's all of these great people and that society sort of rejects them and doesn't 
pay enough attention to what they're saying. So he mentions all these great scientists throughout history and how human like humans just don't seem to want to really listen to them. So you see like the technology he's invented, which is clearly within humanity's grasp, but they can't get there because they're just not focused enough. I just think it's funny that a vampire ripped off Tesla. So it wasn't just Edison. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, I found that whole idea interesting. And like like I said, like I feel like they had a lot. That, I mean, I do think that they were being pretentious and snobbish and all that stuff. But I think they still like had a lot of respect for, for life and living things. You know, clearly Eve, uh, you know, she cared about like stopping and like looking at a skunk and then like looking at mushrooms and how they're growing and what's out of whack with them and that kind of thing. Um, and, you know, I think it's interesting too, with Adam, he clearly has a lot of respect for science and scientists and individuals, but definitely not very much respect for humanity as a whole. And <laughs> one thing I had, uh, as far on the like note of them being snobbish, I'd wrote down in my notes that they're kind of like, vegan vampires i mean clearly they drink blood but you know it's like i i only drink cruelty free grass-fed soy human yeah i love that that it's definitely like a wine like they pick their vintage and i also i also appreciated that it's typo negative let's be real here great band <laughs> i think at least going back to the idea of how the vampires are used and how the use of them in this one makes them not horror as opposed to other ones is He's kind of, so I have a quote I'll share here along with this too, uh, which honestly puts a pretty, you know, clear point on what his intent was in making this movie. So he says, uh, for me, obviously it's not a horror film as most vampire films are, although there are some beautiful ones that aren't explicitly horror films, but I think it's just the overview that it allowed because they've been alive so long to show a love story that spanned that amount of time and who have characters. After all, this is just a character study. So that's kind of what he said in reaction to, uh, Jim Jarmer said in reaction to someone asking why vampires, because he got asked that a lot in terms of this movie. Like, why did you choose vampires and then basically not make a horror film? So, and I feel like he sort of engineered his vampires specifically with some lore in there to stop it from being a horror movie, right? So he has, he's provided the idea that the blood of people nowadays is toxic or not entirely toxic, but at least somewhat toxic to vampires. So there's a just rubber meets the road reason for them not to go around drinking people and try and look for nicer blood. And they even show like the couple times either vampire that drinks human blood does they one dies from it. And one's obviously already made sick from it. And in a way the movie kind of, Again, in that same scene where they get rid of the point of view character, they also basically banish the actual traditionally used vampire. So traditionally vampire shows up. I drink people and I mess things up and I don't care. And she sticks around for a second. As soon as she does something vampire-y, I drank this person's blood. They're like, get the hell out of here. You're not welcome in this story. We're going back to being, you know, brooding in love couple. And we're just dealing with the longevity of ourselves and not caring at all about drinking blood. So I don't know. I thought that was kind of interesting the way it was constructed too. It was like specifically saying, I'm just using them because of how long they've been alive so that they can be in this romance. I'm not using the vampire side of that. It's just something I have to deal with a little bit in this film. Yeah, that's kind of something I was going to mention that makes it not horror, but also kind of a unique vampire story is that the focus... When you think of a vampire movie, you would think that the focus is on the blood drinking. That is vampires, right? That's the first thing you think of. But in this movie, the focus is on the immortality most of the time. That's what a lot of conversations are about. And then, of course, it focuses on these two characters and their romance that spans hundreds of years, which is honestly really sweet that they can stay together that long. But... <laughs> So the focus isn't on the blood drinking, which I think takes away the horror part of it. Whereas if they were like Bonnie and Clyde going around sucking everyone's blood up, it would probably be a totally different movie. I would also watch that movie. I would like to point that out. Me too. <laughs> Me too. I think I would enjoy it more, actually. Kind of along the same lines of how the focus was that this was a romance, not really a vampire movie. 
Um, I thought it was interesting how in the parts of the movie where Tilda Swinton is alone in Tangier, she just looks so pale and waxy and and like it almost looks like not a human and you could actually kind of see her as being the traditional vampire that she might be prowling alleys looking like i think that they maybe are trying to like get you to think that that she's taking these walks and maybe prowling to find victims and then the first time that she actually looks alive has some light in her eyes is when she's with Adam for the first time in the movie. So it's kind of something that I noticed about it. Yeah, and something else I kind of noticed too with both of them is um, they kind of put a little bit of a spin on both of their initial encounters to kind of change how you're viewing it. So you're like, okay, you're aware that they're vampires, but one of the first conversations that Adam has is with uh, Anton Yelchin's character to basically get a bullet to, to be able to kill himself. So it gets you on his side a little bit. So you're feeling sympathy as opposed to you go from maybe, Oh, would he eat Anton Yelchin's character? Do suddenly like, he's not going to hurt anybody except for himself. Maybe that's, you know, that's now I'm concerned for the character. And then you get the same kind of thing with Tilda Swinton when she's walking through the alleys and people are like, Hey, what do you need? What do you need? And yeah, like you say, you think of her as a traditional predator at first because you're like, oh, she's a vampire. But then you've got people acting towards her like they're predators. So it almost kind of sets a little bit of a different tone with that interaction, too. So you just sort of don't view them. The movie goes and takes steps to not view them as predators. And I guess for me, at least, that goes away towards keeping it from ever really feeling like horror as well that they're just people. And it's the same thing you guys said before. They're, they're very humanized. So they never feel like monsters. They never feel like predators. You never feel like you would be in danger around them. Yeah. In like a traditional horror vampire movie, the guys in Tangier, what do you need? What do you need? Then you cut to Tilda Swinton, like just ripping them apart or something like that. I would also watch that movie. You guys are writing really good movies right now. i tried really hard to be able to verify this too sorry i had just one other item that i saw on imdb in terms of the filming of this and i tried really hard to verify it so i don't know if it's true but somebody put up that uh there was some action in the movie at first but when writer director jim jarmusch was asked to add more he removed all of it instead which I could see that happening, but I really couldn't find any confirmation if that was true or not. So if anybody out there listening has a quote or an interview that actually confirms that that was the case, I'd be interested to hear it. I haven't got a quote. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, I just I just wanted to confirm that. <laughs> How did you feel about when characters did die, how it was dealt with in this film. I guess I'm particularly thinking of Anton Yelchin's character, how he was killed, how that was presented, how they got rid of the body. What about that didn't lead it into horror territory to you? Or did that aspect feel like it was maybe out of a horror movie? The whole thing felt a little more like one of their friends OD'd and they didn't want to get caught about it. And they had to try and hide the body. It felt like, um, you know, the annoying little sister comes in and ruins the party. Like, you know, party foul. You drank my friend. Bummer. Oh, damn it. Go get the carpet, Tilda. Right. I mean, I think, I think, I mean, these characters have probably seen so much death, especially death of people close to them in their long lives that they, it's probably just a everyday occurrence at this point or the way that they treat it anyway or the way that they they treated it was just yeah just some inconvenience not as an actual tragedy that was an interesting thing because like throughout at least the earlier part of the movie like i did get the feeling that like adam viewed ian as more or less a friend if you know maybe not like bosom buddies just because he had that kind of pretentiousness about him he hated him the least out of all the zombies exactly yeah and he's you know and they they had a connection but then when he did die it was just like oh 
that's a bummer. You you killed my you killed my guy. Why'd you kill my guy? He even got him a bullet made out of snake wood. Come on, that is a stand-up dude. Don't drink Ian. Ian's a nice guy. Rude. Yeah. He even has that moment. It's like you could have at least turned him, you know? I love right. that. That was that was beautiful. <laughs> you could have at least turned him. <laughs> you know, the way, and like they definitely got mad at the sister, but you know, they weren't taking it like, you know, it wasn't this big tragedy. Like he could have like rolled up a newspaper and whacked her on the nose and said, bad, bad zombie or vampire. <laughs> Dang it. I keep doing that. <laughs> also, I love it that this, um, what was her name? Ava was the little sister. I love that Ava is very clearly like hundreds of years old, centuries. And damn it, this girl still can't hold her liquor. Come on. You think she would have learned after this long? Come on. Pop an aspirin. Don't drain Anton Yelchin and everything will be fine. I would watch that movie. The thing, yeah. too, about that sequence is I'm just because you're as soon as they're at the club with him and Ava's showing attention towards Ian, you're like, Ian is in danger. And then they come back to their house and you're still sitting there as the audience thinking Ian is in danger. And then they're like, we'll leave you two alone. And again, you're shouting at the screen. He's obviously going to get drunk if you leave him alone. Why are you leaving him alone? So I don't know. <laughs> Part of me is like, maybe it's just a way of creating a little bit of drama in the story. Or maybe they are, I mean, they reprimand her as being like real backwards by drinking a person. So it's kind of, maybe it's even been centuries since she's drank a person either. I don't know. I also love that she gets an immediate fast food hangover from him. Yeah, <laughs> that was funny. I, I did really like the, uh, like you said, I you mentioned it earlier, but the idea that um, they have to be careful which humans they drink and which which blood they drink, because I don't think I've, I haven't really heard of, or I don't can't think of another zo or zombie, can't think of another vampire movie where, Sorry. yeah, that's Joe's fault. Joe, it's your fault. Um, I can't think of another vampire movie where they had to like, where they're like, oh god, like guy had sickle cell or like <laughs> something you know what i mean so i think the closest that i would come to is uh in in the true blood series they had hep v and that was something that was a big deal and that could kill a vampire um which was a human generated disease and i i don't know i appreciated that because it kind of gave the reflections like um okay so you're this beautiful white angular you know British person for all eternity and that's great and what happens if your food supply goes to shit you know how great is the rest of eternity when you have to scrounge across the globe for for clean clean food basically now that I think of it wasn't one of the blade movies didn't one of the blade movies have that as a premise also uh maybe I probably it's possible the third one did it was definitely not a concept in the first one in the second one they dealt with a a warring breed of uh uber vampire so that was really what was going on there i haven't seen the third one as much because it blows but anyway um <laughs> uh they did have that in the american version of being human was a plot line in one of the later seasons though the idea of tainted blood and needing to be inoculated against it Oh, you know, that's, I think that's where I was remembering it. Yeah. The thing it makes me think of in Futurama when Lur eats the hippie, I was like, oh, I think there's something funny in that hippie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that's great. <laughs> then I was thinking too about this concept of, I, I wonder if you'd get to some future where zombies are having to like have their livestock of humans where they have to keep drugs out of, you know, this city to make sure that the blood stays clean. And, you know, they have their little farm like of humans, farm? I, I guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then you're on to uh daybreakers with Ethan Hunt and William Defoe. <laughs> right. That had a really good soundtrack. I remember the cinematography on that one being actually pretty good, but maybe it I watched it again and feel different. That was the the plot line of a book that I've never written but had in my head for many years about a group of people who are fighting a zombie apocalypse and then they get saved 
miraculously and then find out it's a bunch of vampires that want to hook them up and basically milk them like cows for blood. <laughs> I swear that is a movie that exists. I will research and find it for you next time. Okay. I'm sure somebody else has had the idea, but I've been thinking about it for a long time. <laughs> Sounds like a good one. I'd be interested in watching that. I'd read it. Well, now I gotta write a book. Yes, you do. <laughs> Would it have changed anything for you guys if they had not cut away from some of those sequences? So if you you stayed with Ava and Ian and you watched while she drained him, if you stayed with Adam and Eve at the end of the movie and watched them drain the couple, would that have changed what the movie felt like for you? Would those couple moments be enough to change the entire tone of the film? I don't think it would change the tone, but I th- I think I would have felt that the gratuitous death scene would have felt out of place in comparison with the rest of it. Yeah. I don't think it would have changed the tone for me overall maybe maybe a little bit but even the like end scene where they're they're going to get the couple they're being very careful to talk to each other about it beforehand and you know make sure that okay we're turning these people we're not killing them and that's just back to their whole like outlook on life i guess or their respect for life or at least that's what i had perceived it as and you know, we turn these people. We don't just eat them. I think it would have helped towards it being a little bit more horror, but it wouldn't have changed it for me, I guess. I think that's where I weigh into just with, like Brianna said, the whole tone of the movie is to be not horror. It's to be a character study, kind of a drama, kind of a love story. And uh, you could have thrown in those gory parts, but I don't think it would have swayed the whole genre of the movie for me. Yeah, I don't think I would have wanted that in a movie like this. I It would have made it darker, and I don't think it needs to be darker, because I don't think it's what they were going for. I think they were just going for that character study. This movie was clearly about lighting and good fashion choices. Also, interior design, fantastic. <laughs> I would live in that house in, what was it, Detroit? 10 out of 10 stars. Move me right in. I'm down. It was a cool place. <laughs> take a lot to get me to move to Detroit. But... I would move to Detroit for that <laughs> house, and it's like in the middle of nowhere. No one would bother me. It'd be great. Yeah, but your fans would find you eventually. Oh, my fans always find me. You could commit all your murders in anonymity. So just as far as an aside on this, you know, outside of whether it's horror or not horror, I did have this question. I don't know if any of you felt like you had an answer because maybe I wasn't paying close enough attention to a detail here or there. But um, so there's this idea, at least throughout the film, too, of um, you have these vampires who've been around a long time that they're creating art and that they are sharing it in subtle ways. So you get like the, the vampire that was Christopher Marlowe, who some conspiracy theorists think wrote a lot of Shakespeare's work and after faking his death, I guess that's the conspiracy that's there and apparently that Jim Jarmusch holds to. Um, But then you also get the idea too with Adam that his music is getting out there and that it's probably Ian sharing it, but he's getting all this money from somewhere. So at first I was thinking, oh, he's selling it on the down low through Ian and that's where his money's coming from. But then he seems surprised to hear that maybe his music is playing in California. And then you kind of see Ian maybe selling some stuff in the club that might have been his music. So I guess what's your read on that? Do you think that Adam was selling his music? Was that intentional? Was Ian just doing it anyway? What was your impression? I think uh, from the whole international flight purchasing thing and their fake passports and identities that you can surmise that either one or both of them has some deep generational wealth that they're able to tap into um so whether that's from selling music or being paid by creators to to create things for them etc could be how they're making money but there's definitely some like deep old vampire banking accounts that or maybe they bought you know apple stock or something i don't know (laughs) They went to the vampire bank, silly. 
<laughs> the vampire bank. That's the blood bank. Well, they're they're their own inheritance, right? I think that's I was that's the thing I was thinking about through it is like it doesn't ever say where their money comes from, but they it doesn't need to. They've been around so long that you know just a couple of random investments could make them super rich over not that not that long a time to them. She's been around for two thousand years. Like maybe she had rights to a whole bunch of land and she just randomly sold it at some point and is a multi-millionaire and just money doesn't mean anything to them. And you can see that with Adam just like handing out thousands of dollars to, well, I mean, I don't know how much it was, but tons of money to Ian for random things. I think it would be fantastic if Adam was still collecting royalties on the Adagio that he sold in the Renaissance or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. So, okay, so this is the thing I was thinking in my head about all of that, because you get this idea of, oh, there's these vampires, and they've been alive for hundreds of years, maybe even thousands of years, so of course they'd be rich. But then I think to myself, like, we all have a grandparent that's dirt poor, they didn't get rich, so what's a few more centuries on top of that? Because, you, you know, if I'd bought Apple stock as soon as it was available, maybe I'd be a millionaire, but would I have... I wouldn't know that that was going to happen at the time. Would you just, I don't know, kill somebody, take a bunch of money, throw a bunch of it in every stock and just see which one took off? I guess I'm. it's me questioning the idea of just because you've been alive a long time, would that mean that you'd end up with more money somehow? Because we want to say yes, but I'm not entirely convinced. I guess the thing I thought about it was like, they're clearly smart people. Adam's like ripping off Tesla and building his own electric cars and has his own like random generator that's running all of all of his own thing. And I think the difference between like just looking at a random grandparent uh, and looking at a vampire that's been around for hundreds of years is, you know, as you, as we age, as we get old, like cognitive ability goes down. We our energy levels are constantly going down. With a vampire, none of that is ever decreasing. It's only, at least as far as the cognitive ability and intelligence, it's only going up. Like, it wouldn't take much for them to make a lot of money. They're highly intelligent people, is, I guess, my perception of it. It's just trying to figure out a way for you to make a ton of money so you never have to worry about it, but do it anonymously so that no one's ever heard of you. So how do you end up being a... You know, we don't know if they're million or billionaire, but how do you end up with that much money and remain completely anonymous? You have to keep finding these people to make back alley deals with. I'll write this song for you. You just have to kick some money to me when you get it. I don't know. Just it's one of those things I'd be interested to learn more about. If this was a book series, I would read all that and be interested in all the explanations. But anyway, I don't know. Just me thinking about it, I guess. I think that's one of the details about this movie that it's like it. It never gives you an answer, but you, I've, I have no doubt there is an answer to it. You know, like that's, I, I guess that's what makes it okay for me. Is just like I don't, I don't need an explanation. I would like an explanation. I think it'd be really interesting to hear why they don't ever have to worry about money, why they have just rolls of bills to hand out whenever they want. But I also totally believe that there is an answer to that question. I got the impression that Marlo, who John Hurt, I squealed when I saw that he was in this this movie. I lost my shit. He's amazing. He's great. Uh, he's freaking awesome. Anyway, um, I'm done fangirling for the moment. I got the impression that Marlo's character was somehow financially supporting and or looking after Eve, especially while she was in Tangiers. I got the impression that he was sort of like the surrogate kind of sort of father figure, even though she's clearly centuries older than him. She's just kind of living the good life, you know? She she just kind of has people take care of her. And uh, I think that Adam's the one who's making all the bucks, basically gig-working through the millennia. I also would add to that that I think during the movie, it's very clear that both of them take care of their possessions and have a lot of very old things. So, I don't know, it's not much of a stretch for me to say, you know, Eve in the year 1000 had some you know thing that she's kept ever since then and sold it to a museum later for 
$500 million anonymously in an auction. Yeah, I thought about that too. You'd just be a centuries-old hoarder, and something would be valuable eventually. Right. Yeah, Yeah, essentially. Right. That is an episode of Pawn Stars I would absolutely watch. (laughs) (laughs) You never know what's going to walk into this shop. Oh, I was just going to throw out. I didn't want. Uh, I didn't want us to end this episode without mentioning Tilda Swinton's appearance as this character in um, spoilers for this TV show in the tail end of the first season of What We Do in the Shadows when they have the Vampire <laughs> Council. Just wanted to make sure that got mentioned. <laughs> really? Yeah, it's great. Huh. Cool. That's actually pretty cool. I've never seen that, so. It's a really fun TV series. If you enjoy vampires, if you enjoy comedy horror, what we do in the shadows, both the movie and the TV series that take place in the same universe are great. And the Vampire Council is full of references like that, where they've got actors being called by their name. You know, she's being called Tilda because she played a vampire in a movie, and they're doing that with every one of the characters that they bring in as an Easter egg. That's pretty funny. I mean, we definitely saw she had, like, a huge collection of books, so she probably had, like, a billion first edition books that she could sell. That's true. Just find a really sweaty collector with a lot of money, and then you're okay. Do that every few years. (laughs) Sell another book whenever you need some blood money. And then just wait for that person to die and take it back. (laughs) You always know where it is. True. Oh my gosh, so dirty. It's like an undead an undead secret scheme. I'm into it. I'd watch that too. It's just, that's how she stores her books. She just sells them and keeps them at other people's houses until they die. Yeah. Just continual off-site storage. So here's an idea, okay. You know, story, your typical, regular, salt-of-the-earth vampire guy where poverty over the centuries is the antagonist and we just have him fighting poverty for 2,000 years and figuring out how to get, earn money. Okay? That's my next story. Oh, that sounds depressing. Just showing them being impoverished <laughs> in every society in every century. Oh. <laughs> Perfection. That's that's a horror movie there. How not to succeed in business. That should be the name of it. How not to succeed in immortality. You thought poverty sucked when you're only when your lifespan is like seventy years. <laughs> and you're sitting there like, well, at least sometime I'll die and that'll be the end of this. <laughs> nope. That'd be a really depressing story. Imagine how much of a failure you'd feel like if you stayed broke for thousands of years. Oh, that would be if awful. you stay broke for thousands of years, that's really your own fault, though, because you've got an eternity to like study and read everything in the library. I mean, come on. Hey, lazy vampires probably exist. It's true. In this, in this universe. Or in real life. It's like, hopefully your memory would be... Um your memory would improve all the, over time, right? But like, when you're in your 20s and your 30s is... Most of us are. Anyway, um, <laughs> some of us aren't. Anyway, but uh, the point being that, you know, I've read plenty of stuff, but I don't remember lots of it. So just imagine how much you would forget over that amount of time, too. Yeah, it's true. Uh, the other thing I guess I'll throw in here at the end of it, too, is I've been trying to, as we go through and do these more recently, I've been trying to look and see what kind of classifications come up in various search engines and streaming services. So I guess just as an interesting aside, uh, searching this in Google, it does come up as romance horror. YouTube just says it's romance. Um, most places, let's see, Amazon and Google Play, Wikipedia, IMBD, IMDB, rather, uh, you know, they labeled as comedy and fantasy and drama and romance, uh, but you really only get horror as a label under Amazon and under a just general Google search. So even when you're looking in the Google Play store, they drop the horror label and just say romance. So I thought that was kind of interesting seeing how it how it shows up in searches. At a couple of random just moments, like it's not based on, you know, whether it's horror or not, just 
fun moments in the movie that that I liked. Like when I liked when they're in the club and they're all wearing gloves and uh, sunglasses, and then Ian kind of like moves his head to the side and (laughs) tries to covertly pull his sunglasses out of his pocket and slide them on his face too. (laughs) Yeah. And then also when I think Adam's an interesting character because he, you know, he's clearly, clearly very smart, very mechanically inclined, builds his own electric car, has his own generator, all that stuff. But it's still like to talk to Eve has to hook four or five different things up to get her to come onto his TV from the 1950s and his random speakers and things like that. And just he's he's not very up on tech. And like when she ends up coming to visit him, she like he she goes over to the refrigerator or the freezer and is like, he's like, oh, that doesn't work. And she's like, oh, I just plugged it in and it works fine. And here's a like blood popsicle. Isn't this cool? Maybe you should get with the times. Anyways, I thought those were some fun moments. Yeah, it was kind of an interesting way of showing their characters. This movie also had one of my favorite insults ever, ever when Marlowe said or refers to Shakespeare as an illiterate zombie Philistine. It was magnanimous. <laughs> <laughs> and, and of course, you know, I think the technology thing is another way into kind of going with the idea of um, Tilda Swinton's living in the world, trying to enjoy the world. She's basically saying, like, I'm alive for centuries. I'm going to see societies and see what they're up to and and be out and engage and uh adam's just you know recluse and staying alone by himself and of course you know it all seems darker when you're just holed up by yourself alone and even though they're not together she's out there enjoying the world and trying to like share that with him when they get back together it's like let's go out let's see things let's see what this world has to offer let's not just assume that it's worthless he's a musician steve you just wouldn't understand I know. I wouldn't get it. When the sister comes to town and is like, oh, I want to go to a club. And Adam's like, I, we're definitely not doing that. And cut to them in the club. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it bees like that. What can I say? Any other uh, final thoughts on this? I wouldn't blame anybody for not liking it for being a little pretentious or slow. But I I enjoyed it more than I thought I would, just because of a lot of those things. I guess for what it was, it w- it did a it did a fine job. Just didn't keep me on my toes as much as I would have liked. Yeah, I think when it's all said and done, I I enjoyed this movie. I was fine with it. You know, it would have been interesting if it had leaned horror, but I really liked what this was. And uh, I enjoy when movies propose questions that you're sure there are answers. I always find that kind of interesting. All right. Well, thank you for joining us on Is It Horror? Join us next time where we are going to do a double feature episode. We're going to be covering Shaun of the Dead and Zombieland in the same episode and kind of comparing and contrasting whether we think they're a horror and what makes one horror and the other one not. It's kind of an interesting subject where we've got kind of two at least comedic movies that are both dealing with the same genre of uh, zombies. And so, yeah, join us then and check it out. I've been Steve. And I've been Brianna. I'm Joe. I'm Mitz. And I'm Matt. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think he sounds like that. Yeah, close. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Bye. I'm Matt. And and I'm Matt. Oh, jeez. <laughs> there he is. <laughs> <laughs> Scream. You sound like you're drowning screaming that. This is a quick addendum to this episode, which thank you again for joining us. If you follow us on Instagram or if you follow us on Twitter, you might have seen that uh, we put a call to arms to help select my 700th horror movie that I will be watching ever. If you're interested in seeing what the full list is, you can check out our letterboxed. Uh, the link to that is available through our Instagram and through our Twitter if you check out our link tree. Like Steve said, we got a couple of great suggestions. We're going with Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2022 that releases today on Netflix. That suggestion came from Franimal Kingdom on Instagram. Thanks for the great suggestion.
Also, special thanks to four mood groups on Instagram for your suggestion of Ty West's upcoming film, X. The only reason we didn't end up picking that is because I didn't want to have to wait another month to watch a new horror movie. So that was really the only reason for that. But it's still a great suggestion, and I appreciate you. We will be reviewing this movie on an upcoming episode. Keep following us on social media for updates on when that episode will air. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Thanks for joining us at Is It Horror? We post new episodes every other Friday. Think we didn't give this movie a fair shake? Think we missed something? Do you have a suggestion for future episodes? Or did you just want to say hi? If so, you can follow us at Is It Horror on Twitter, on Instagram at Is It Horror Pod, or you can email us at Is It Horror Podcast at gmail.com. In the meantime, stay safe and keep asking yourself Is It Horror?